I have I have confusion. <laughs> no? Am I good? I look great. <laughs> yeah. yeah, sure, let's go with that. <clears throat> let's pray. Father, um, thank you for a glorious week. Thank you for the conference. Thank you for the privilege of sharing what you've been teaching us with others who would learn and learn your ways along with us. Father, thank you for um, the beautiful times of worship and for the great food and for the um, amazing servants who cleaned and fixed things up and straightened things out. And um, Thank you for being there with us. Um, thank you that your spirit is here tonight. Father, I pray that your voice would be heard, that my voice wouldn't get in the way, that... Um, that your spirit would fill this place and that as we declare this uh, your kingdom, as we declare this yours, it belongs to you, that anything that would disrupt that, anything that would turn us from that, any voice that isn't from you would be silenced and we would hear you and you alone. Thank you for the joy of being here. Thank you for the joy of knowing that you are here with us. In Jesus' name, amen. We're looking at various passages in the book of Mark, and it's really fun. We're kind of going around the theme of discipleship and what it means to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus, um, and what's required of that. Um, And so tonight we're going to look at a story from Mark 6, and we're going to look at the first six verses of Mark chapter 6. And it reads like this. He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hand? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary? the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went among the villages teaching. We're talking through these various verses in the book of Mark. And and we've been talking about what it means to be a disciple. Not just a part of the crowd not just a kind of hangers-on, not just an interested party, not just someone who's found Jesus or is considering Jesus. Those are all valid places to be, great places to be. But we're talking about what it means to be a disciple, 
a disciplined follower of Jesus. Eric reminded us in the first message in this little series um, that to be a disciple means to get up. He said we've got to get up. That discipleship and following after Jesus is an action thing. It's not cerebral. It's not intellectual. I know as we were kind of preparing for the conference and as I was thinking through, I, I want to make an intellectual um, defense of what we do and, and argue it and have these great conversations that deal with, with um, you know, how it all fits in my brain. But that's not what being a disciple really is. It's about getting up and going after and following Jesus. Jesus is calling for us to get up. Last week I challenged you to ask God to, um, as you got up, to ask God to reveal his power to you. And to do that without placing any condition on how he would do that. How he would show his power. How he would show himself to you. To do that, to do that without placing any conditions is a pretty scary thing. To have no condition on how God reveals his power to you. What we often do, and I do this, is God reveal your power to me by getting my hot tub fixed. Re- reveal your power to me by, by, by getting my bank account in order. Reveal your power to me by doing the stuff that I want you to do. We, God, would you, would you kind of do what I want you to do? We always want to tell God what to do. We, we love having him work for us. <laughs> would you do my thing for me, God? Because I can't do it. Now, I know what my thing is, and I know what needs to be done. Don't get me wrong. I I know exactly, God, what needs to be done. So would you just do that for me, and then I'll be okay. Then everything will be fabulous. Use your power, we say, to give me what I want. Come work for me. Do my agenda. Unfortunately, that's not how it works. It doesn't work that way at all. It's not even close. Matter of fact, it's the exact opposite of how it really works. It, it, it's completely different. God comes in power and he works in our lives and he calls us to himself and he does stuff in us and to us and through us. And we have our little demands of how it should be. I... And we're surrounded by our families and our friends, and and they know what we need, and they know what we want. It's all drilled into us. I grew up in the Phoenix Christian Reformed Church. I started going there when I was eight years old, when my family moved from Iowa, and I was a member there for late into my 30s. Kathy and I eventually left there to help start a church in North Phoenix, called Celebration Community Church. And it was there that I had my very first opportunity to preach. It was really fun. John Westra, the pastor there, said, Rod, I think you should be a pastor, a preacher. You should preach. I want a week off. 
And so I preached my first sermon, and it was really, really scary and probably really, really awful. I have no recollection of it. Um, but it was my first opportunity, and, and much like what we do here, we offer leaders, the leaders in, our, in the village here, opportunities to preach and to speak and to see what God would have them do with that. Um, it's, it was a great opportunity for me. And so I spoke a few times there, and I started preaching more regularly, and then other churches that were part of Classis Arizona, which was the regional church group that we were were part of, would ask me, they would say, hey, our pastor's going on vacation or, or needs a week off for some reason or whatever. Would you be willing to come preach for us? And so... I said, well, yeah, um, and in those days, you had to get licensed to do that, right? And they called it a license to exhort, which is, which is kind of like, you know, a license to kill, a James Bond kind of thing or something. <laughs> like, it felt really cool, like, I'm licensed to exhort. Der- uh, Derek, my youngest son, thought it was a license to extort, which... <laughs> which would have been far more profitable, right? Like, <laughs> but I was stuck with exhorting and preaching and, and asking and telling people about Jesus. And, and um, I would get invited to, to various churches. It was kind of fun and scary to go and preach elsewhere and to extort for them, I mean exhort for them. And... <laughs> And whenever I'd go preach somewhere, I would invite my mom and my stepfather, um, who lived in Phoenix, to come hear me speak, and um, my family and friends. Um, and, and my mom didn't come to hear me speak. Matter of fact, when I spoke, to, spoke at Celebration Church, she didn't come because... She said she had things to do at her church, and she didn't, wasn't able to come. And then there would be other churches, and she said, oh, it's too far away, or I got something else to do that Sunday, or I really can't do that, or whatever it was. So I finally realized that I had preached, I had exhorted in every single church in the classes in the region except my home church <laughs> except the church that I grew up in except the church that I loved and cared about and thought about and knew all the people in and where mom and my stepdad attended and I, I had preached everywhere but there hmm And then came the day when I got a call from their elders and they said, Rod, we'd like for you to come and preach a couple Sundays from now. And so I was very excited and I told mom and I said, hey, it's going to be great when you, you know, I'll be preaching at your church. She said, I don't think I'll be there. I said, why? She says, well, I have a lot of friends that, that really think you shouldn't be preaching. 
After all, you didn't go to seminary. You, you haven't done what you're supposed to do. You haven't jumped through all the correct hoops. You, you haven't been examined. You, you really don't have a right to do this. I said, well, Mom, I'm, I'm sure that you have friends that believe that and that that's true for, but what about you? And she says, well, you know, they talk to me and I, I don't know what to do about that. And I said, Mom, you don't want to come hear me preach. You don't want to come hear me exhort. You don't want to come hear me speak because you're worried about what your friends think. And she said, yeah. And we got together and we had a long talk. And I said, Mom, I work with like people who are addicted to drugs and, and, and alcohol, and, I, and I've done those kinds of things. I, I know people who, who um, are just in horrible places, and I, I, I know like there are axe murderers in prison whose mothers think they're the greatest thing since sliced bread and then just love them and think they're wonderful, and, and even though they're you know just destroying um, their families and destroying their mothers, their, their mothers still saying, no, they're, they're great. And here I am trying desperately to follow Jesus and to do what he wants, and, and you have no pride in me. You have no, you don't care about me. You don't care about hearing me even preach. Like I'm so stinking godly compared to all these other people. So I manipulated her into coming to hear me preach, and she thought I was fabulous. I went to preach at the Phoenix Church, and afterwards I went to the back where they served coffee and cake and cookies and hung out there, and people came up to me, and, and I'm waiting to hear accolades and appreciation and the first lady says you know Rod you stood up there and all I could remember all I could think about was you know back in when you were in grade school you 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 guys were so poor and we used to take these uh, we used to have hot lunch on Wednesday and she said and and you only could get two of the of the little sloppy joes that we made because that's all you guys could afford. And I always felt sorry for you, so I'd always tell you that there were a bunch of extras and would you please have them, and so you'd eat like six or seven of these little sloppy joes, and I'd give you an extra ice cream, you know, the little cup that they had of ice cream with a little wooden, sp- little wooden spoon. It was so awesome. We... <clears throat> I would sneak those to you. She says, and now I look at you up there and it just doesn't make any sense. <laughs> That's not even right. Like, how do you get up there? And, and then this, uh, okay, yeah, I remember that too. Thanks for all those bad memories. And, and then she came up and another lady came up and she said, you know, I remember when you fainted in church and we had to carry you out and and you were um just like you were this long tall skinny kid and and we kind of carried you out and it took like three of us not because you were heavy but because you were long and and do you remember that Uh, no i i don't remember that well yeah it was really great and and (laughs) (laughs) and then the catechism 
my catechism teacher, the guy who taught me the Heidelberg Catechism, this really cool stuff about God and Jesus and stuff that the one little kid said here one night when we were asking what the Apostles' Creed was about, God and Jesus and stuff. And I've, I've got it memorized for crying out loud. Um, he, 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 he taught me catechism and he came up and he said, I, I kind of marvel at how in the world you could get up there and speak this morning because I had you in catechism class and wow, you were really a lousy student. And... <coughs> And I'm thinking, how does this work? I get respect everywhere I go. And now I'm Rodney Dangerfield. I get no respect. You know, I got nothing. (laughs) Nobody cares about me. Like nobody's thinking about me. Because I had a demand. Not a longing, a demand. A demand that mom cheer for my sermons. That mom loved me the way I am. That she would tell me how wonderful I was, how proud she was of me. My demand was that the Phoenix CRC see me as a grown man, (laughs) fully capable of following after Jesus. I wanted my catechism teacher to see me as someone who had taken hold of what he had taught and was now offering it to others. I didn't want to drift around in the world of unmet longings. I had expectations of how God must act. I had expectations of what God must do. I have expectations of how I should be respected and acknowledged. I made it all about me. Still do sometimes still do often. It's all about me. It's what I need. Jesus goes to his hometown and it's all about them. How can this happen? How can this guy be like this? We remember him. We remember when he was a kid. We remember he was a carpenter's son. He's just a carpenter's son for crying out loud. And in those days that meant a lot. You're a carpenter's son. Guess what you're going to do when you get old? You're going to be a carpenter. That's what, that's what you do. You don't have a choice. We talk about careers and career development and all those great things. <laughs> Please. In those days, you didn't have a choice. If your dad's a carpenter, you're a carpenter. Well, yeah, but I'm not good with my hands. Well, then you're going to be a lousy carpenter. But, <laughs> but you're still going to be a carpenter. You're not going to do something else. You're not going to rise above your position. We know you're a carpenter's kid. Be a carpenter. How in the world, where in the world does this guy get this stuff about following Jesus, about being different? They're deeply familiar with Jesus. These are his relatives. These are people who know him. They know him well. There's a deep familiarity. There's this old saying that familiarity breeds contempt. (laughs) They look down their nose at him. They don't believe in him. They don't put their faith 
in him. They don't have confidence in him. They don't walk in trust of his ways and what he's teaching them. They don't listen to his words except to marvel at how brilliant they are. (laughs) But they don't do them. They've heard and seen all the miracles that have been done by him. They, they, they are aware that he has this great reputation. And they just can't figure out how in the world that could happen. Jesus says, a prophet is not without honor, except in his own country except among his own people. At first blush, does that sound bitter to you? Does that sound like Rod saying, Mom, love me, talk to me, come hear me preach? Because it's not like that at all. Jesus is simply stating a fact. He's simply saying it's true. Prophets are without honor in their own country. Prophets are ignored. He's not telling that in an angry voice. But that's where my head went right away, and I'm sure that's where most of our heads go, right? Jesus is really ticked at them. Stop talking about changing my diapers when I was a baby. Ugh. I get so tired of that story. That's not how Jesus is at all. He recognizes a reality that often when we grow up around the familiarity of Jesus, when we walk around him all the time, we kind of get bored. We kind of stop seeing. We kind of stop wanting to follow. Eh, whatever. It's our attitude towards faith. It's our attitudes towards faith in Jesus that thwarts his work. Jesus doesn't retaliate and say, fine, if you're going to be like that, I'm not going to do any miracles here. You guys are on your own. You stink. You don't want to follow me? Okay, fine. Good deal. I won't help you. No, it's their very lack of faith. It's their very lack of trust. It's their very own desire to not follow in his ways, to not trust him, to not walk in his path, to not listen to his words and take them in and live them out. It's their problem. I said last week that Jesus longs for the crowd to come to know him. I talked to you about the verses that just reflect how he had compassion on the crowd. Jesus has compassion on people. He has compassion on you wherever you are in the journey. (laughs) 
whether you're following Jesus, whether you're not following Jesus, whether you want to, whether you don't want to, whether you have no idea why you're here tonight or whether somebody forced you at gunpoint to come here or whatever reason you have to come here, I, I don't know. But Jesus brought you here. He has compassion on you. He loves you. He wants you to trust his power, to trust his strength and his might, to live into what he has for you. And I know why we're reluctant. I know why I'm reluctant. If I follow you, Jesus, I'm not going to get what I want. What I really wanted to do was be not just chief financial officer of Charlie C. Jones Battery and Electric Company and take it into the next century. I wanted to be president and then president of the board and I wanted to be wealthy and I wanted to have it all and I wanted to please my wife and my kids, buy big houses and and drive great cars and do all kinds of wonderful things. That's what I really wanted and if following Jesus meant anything other than that, I wasn't really interested I wanted status. I wanted position. I wanted to be acknowledged. And if following Jesus meant I couldn't have that, then I didn't want it. The people who knew him best, the people who'd grown up around him, the people who were familiar with him were confused. How can this be? But we talked about last week that when those disciples are in the boat and Jesus is asleep in the boat and, and Jesus... It's just sound asleep, and they have to wake him up. Then how irritated they are because he won't help them do their work, do the work that needs to be done to save themselves. We're that way. I'm that way. Faith is movement. Faith is getting up. Being a disciple is getting up and following after Jesus. They don't want to get up. They're stuck in their routines. They like their routines. They want their routines. Routines give them safety. Routines give them comfort. And Jesus is saying, get up. Follow me. Now there were a few people there who were healed. There were a few people who said, no, I'm going to listen to Jesus. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to ask him for what I need. I'm going to wait for him to come on me in power to do what he will with me. So Jesus healed some people. Our passion, the theme of our conference, was healing the city one person at a time. There were some one-person folks out there, just one person here, one person there, who laid down their demands of how Jesus had to be, who believed that a carpenter's kid could change and be something completely different, that a carpenter's kid didn't have to be a carpenter, be the Son of God here, present, in their midst. They believed that, and they were healed. Faith is movement. So here's my challenge to you this week. My challenge to you is to think about, ask about, reflect on who are you really, Jesus?
Who are you really? Are you sort of helpless? Are you one of those gods who just helps other people and not me? Are you the one who doesn't care? Are you the one who's just distant and walks away when I'm in need? Who are you really, Jesus? Are you the powerful God of the universe who spoke everything that we see and know into being and into place and and who rules everything and guides everything and controls everything and has a massive amount of power and might and strength and glory and beauty? And are you beyond anything I can imagine? Or are you a carpenter's kid? who's got nothing for me. Who are you, Jesus? Not who are you. Not, not, not who are you for everyone else. Not, not who are you for, for my neighbors and my friends and, and for the village and, and all that. No, uh, who are you for Pastor Rod? That's, that's all that's irrelevant. Who are you, Jesus, to me? Who are you? And I'd really invite you to reflect on that and think about that and ask Jesus, would you show yourself to me? You've told me to get up. Would you come help me get up and show yourself? Please. Please. Please come and show me you. So what are you thinking? What's your response? Questions, concerns, thoughts, pushbacks, rage, anger, joy, yeah. I've been having a really difficult time lately. We are in the process of trying to get ready to move due to some circumstances that are out of our control. And just trying to look for a new place to live has been incredibly frustrating. And Mike just keeps telling me, he's like, trust Jesus, it's going to work out. God hasn't let us down yet. He's not going to let us down before. And I've kind of got this mindset, especially today, where I'm like, like in Bruce Almighty, when Bruce says, God's just a mean kid with a magnifying glass, I kind of <laughs> I kind of feel like that. Just because it's been so emotionally exhausting trying to do all this. So just being able to um, believe that Jesus isn't just a carpenter's kid and he's going to take care of us is what I really need to remember while we go through this. So I can keep that in mind. And just get some peace in the process because that's one thing I haven't had and I really need that. Thank you. Might as well get the other half. <laughs> well, I, uh, the, there's something about this verse that's always kind of gotten to me. The, the idea that Jesus could not perform any works in this town. And that's always like seemed like almost that Jesus actually had an Achilles heel. And even you use the word that it, it thwarts his power. 
And I wonder if maybe I've misunderstood that. And it's not that our unbelief causes Jesus to be powerless in our situation. But maybe it's that our unbelief and our refusal to have faith, that even if Jesus changed it all around and reversed the Titanic, so to speak, that we would still, it wouldn't ever be enough. Which you've also said before, like, a miracle is an amazing thing, but if it doesn't change the way that you approach life, it's, it's just a worthless 30 seconds of your life anyway. Yeah. We can't stop Jesus. We can't stop his work. He overcomes our unbelief and our disbelief. He overcomes everything in his time. So my invitation is, Jesus, who are you to me now? And my invitation is, Jesus, who are you? And where am I in that journey? Just because at that time he can do no miracles there doesn't mean no miracle could ever happen there. And just because a miracle couldn't happen in that particular time doesn't mean miracles won't. They will and they do all the time. Anyone else? So maybe you're you're good. You, maybe you're answering the question with your with your challenge. But um, my my pattern is whenever um, I have demands, they're revealed because of the reactions that I had, like you talked about. And so repenting of the way that I've behaved in the past is great. But what can I do to identify those demands that I'm making now? Yeah. Demands and longings are so closely tied together, right? Um, a longing, I long to have my bills paid, to find a place to live, whatever. Those are beautiful longings. Those are good longings. Those are healthy, righteous, and wonderful longings. Um, and the moment they turn as a, into a demand is when we say, God, you owe me. God, I have to have. In order for you to be real to me, I better have a place to live and it better be by Thursday because that's when I have to leave the apartment I'm in or whatever. And if it doesn't happen, then you're not taking care of me. Now the answer to the question may be, oh, I'm sorry, I'm not going to give you another place to live. You have to move in with your parents or you've got to go sleep on the couch at the village or you have to, you know, like may, maybe there's some other answer. And we're like, no, that can't be. <laughs> we have all these rules. There, we have all these expectations and requirements. God, you have to dance to our song. And that's not how it works. And so to rest in the joy of God's provision is not to say how God gets to provide. So how quickly we turn from longing to demand happens all the time. Did you have your hand up too or somebody? No? You were just pointing at someone else. Okay. <laughs> pointing at others. Ah. Yeah, you will. I think that uh, it's important to remember that there are plenty of God-loving people in the world that still smoke a pack of Marlboros a day for 15, 20 years, and they're that one in three that dies of emphysema. And they wonder why 
you know, God doesn't save them, but God will meet us in all the choices that we make, you know, and it's really up to us in whatever capacity that we have, and he's not really there to, you know, shoulder us through it. He's really there to, well, that's the wrong, that's the wrong way to say it. He's not there to slingshot us through life, you know, that's not, that's not what he, that's not what he's there for. Um, So, yeah. God's, the joy of following in Jesus' way is, I mean, there's this incredible joy that comes knowing that he's actually in control. Um, and if I don't leave you with that, then I've, then I've mistreated you, and it's pretty bad. Um, there's no can't in God. There's no turning away from you. He loves, he loved me when I was obnoxious. He loved me when I longed for mom to say I was great. He loved me, he loves me now. Whenever my sin, wherever it is, God's in love with us. God is pursuing us. He's calling us to him. He doesn't ever, ever stop doing that. Let's, uh, let's close up. Father, thank you that you are not stopped. Thank you that you are the all-powerful God of the universe. Thank you, Jesus, that you reign and rule everywhere, all the time. Thank, thank you that you know all about Mike and Corey's housing situation and that you're wor- at work. Thank you that you know all about our deep longings. Longings for our parents to love us. Longing for our kids to respond to us. Longing for whatever we long for. Longing to be safe. Longing to not be afraid. Longing to have hope. You're in all those longings. And you're speaking to them. And you're speaking to us now thank you Jesus that you were a carpenter's kid and you know all about carpentry and that you know all about the needs of carpenters and their families and that you love carpenters and you love us and thank you Jesus that you were the God of the universe that you were a voice that spoke all into creation that you made us and formed us and shaped us and love us and will never, ever let us go because of your great love. In Jesus' name, amen.